Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, oh, okay. I think uh, Savage Henry does its own podcast, right? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> I, I want to say that they. I want to say that they have one. Yeah, maybe. Much. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're just more on the comedy side, except for your podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's a comedy show too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. And your show. You have a show tonight and tomorrow night. Yep, tonight, tonight, and tomorrow oh, night. Yeah. Sweet, mm-hmm. that's gonna be exciting. Yeah, it should be fun. It'd be fun. Let me know if you want to comp or anything. I've got extra tickets. You're more than welcome to. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I'll okay. have to. I'll have to check it out. I, yeah, I believe you're the first comedian that I've actually had on the podcast. Now oh, really? I'm about it. Yeah. Oh, funny. Nice. <laughs> How long have you been doing comedy? Um, uh, it'll be 16 years in April. 16 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, somehow that happened. <laughs> it's crazy how time just flies when you're doing something you enjoy, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. It doesn't feel like a, you know, I mean, it feels like a job sometimes, but, you know, most of the time it's great. <laughs> Does it feel like a job when you're prepping or when you're rehearsing your act or more so when you get on stage and you actually have to put it all together? It's more like um, it feels like a job during when when you're on tour because a lot of people think it's just like, ah, oh, you're partying all the time. But like it's like you really are conserving energy, I find at least. Like during the day, it's like I had a couple people like hit me up today. They're like, hey, you want to like come over? We're going to like smoke a bunch of weed, and, like watch a bunch of TV, like, you know, just all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not being social with you. I have another thing to do. And then I have like when you're doing a show, you're you're on for an hour on stage and then you're on for like an hour or two talking to people afterwards. So it's like, that's just draining. It's fun. It's a fun drain, but it is like the next, I'll just be quiet. Like I was quiet all day today. I'll be quiet all day tomorrow, basically like prepping for it <laughs> for the most part. Is that your standard routine is to try to pretty much just keep it low key up until you go yeah. on stage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. I would yeah. imagine it, it's got to get a little draining, especially if you're doing time after the show too, where you're doing, you're just talking to people in the audience. Like, yeah, yeah. Doing all that stuff. Yeah. And you're also just, you know, I have like a lot of listeners to the show, to our, my podcast and, um, you know, they want to talk to you too, and they know you really well. So it's like it, it. You want to give everyone like an experience, you know. So they keep coming back, you know. So <laughs> do you get a lot of podcast listeners come out to the show? Yeah. Uh huh. Depending on if it's a city that we have a lot of listeners in, I mm. can't. I can't tell you about Eureka. I have no idea. <laughs> is this your first time going on stage here? No, this is my uh, th- fourth time, fifth, fifth time through Eureka. I mean, I think my first time was here in like 2015, and then. Um, uh, yeah, 2015 with uh, the other two gals and Lady to Lady, and then me and Tess Barker came here separate once, and then um, I headlined in February 2019, and then I did the festival at the end of 2019, and then this is my first time here since then. Yeah. Is so. is the comedy scene pretty good here? Yeah. Yeah, you guys yeah. have like a, the club is great. I mean, they get a lot of good names coming through. You know, I mean, it's it's nice. You know, it's a good community. You know, it's, it's, it's everyone, you know, it's younger people starting and everything and there's just like hiccups along the way, but that's every scene. But it's cool that they've got a club that they can kind of like watch pros at and like kind of learn from. It's an important thing to have. That seems like that's half the battle is just watching people that are a little bit better of you, better than you and try to pick up some of those oh, technique for, tips. Yeah, you learn a lot that way. You also learn a lot from um, just doing consistent stuff on stage. Also watching people that aren't even pros, but just watching other people go up and being like, oh, I don't like that about like what they do. Oh, I make sure I don't do that or whatever it is. You know, you just learn a lot through observation and comedy. And I think having a club in a small town like this, it's nice to have like, they have two or three dedicated mic nights. And it's actually a club that also really wants to grow its local scene. And that isn't always the case. So they, you know, um, Chris Durant that runs the place here, he's really like wants to build a, a solid stable of locals, which is, Really nice. 
I've never understood the idea of not wanting to build out a scene. If you own a comedy yeah. club, it seems like you would want to cultivate good local talent because that just helps your well, business. I mean, it, ma- it depends on if you care about comedy or not. A lot of comedy club owners don't actually care about comedy. It's just a very cheap, easy way to make money because you're paying very few people a night but you can jack up tickets and then you you know you have like a drink and food minimums and stuff every night um for like a relatively small retail space that you're paying for and um you know so it's very easy for them just to bring in bring in people more so than like actually build a scene you know a lot of a lot of owners don't really care about comedy and that's (laughs) would you say that's most comedy clubs are that way i wouldn't say it's i mean I, I, I couldn't tell you a split on it. I mean, I, I don't really mess with clubs that often. I usually do a lot of more independent type touring, um, like more small music venues and stuff like that. Bar shows is more my vibe. Is that just preference on feel? Preference on feel. Also just, um, you know, there's just, uh, I'm, I'm a female comic. A lot of club owners just don't think we're, don't take a lot of female headliners a year. And it's like, I'm not going to fight for scraps at a place. I'd rather be respected somewhere else. Has that gotten better? Because it seems like now there's a lot of female comics. It was really getting better pre-pandemic. Um, post-lockdown, a lot of clubs have kind of more... Because there's such a a backup in dates, basically, a lot of bigger names are now doing smaller clubs just trying to get any kind of dates, which kind of pushed everything back a little bit. So, Kind of screwed you guys up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's like the progress was being made and then things, everything, you know, like everything else kind of like stopped and got kind of pushed back. But now it's it's getting better again. Uh, it just takes a while. You know, everything is de- definition of progress is to progress. So <laughs> Yeah, COVID kind of messed a lot of things up yeah, in that way. Sure. And sure. especially if you're an up-and-comer, that's the thing you hear a lot is mm-hmm. you can get bumped. And so I'd imagine, mm-hmm. especially in that case, if you have people that are more well-known coming back down, yeah, then you're just kind of... You're screwed. What are yeah. you going to do? It just kind of is what it is. I mean, it's kind of hard because it's like, well, you know, everyone's just trying to get paid. And I mean, I'm thankful that I've always kind of done this kind of indie DIY touring because I'm not relying on the club system. I've always been like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll go figure it out somewhere else. You know, and that's, that was a pivot that I was, it was a lot easier for me to make than a lot of people, I think. Do you run and manage your own tour? Do you have somebody that does mm-hmm. that? Do it all myself. You do it DIY. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah. So then you don't, you don't have to worry about somebody trying to come in and and take a cut of everything no. like they want to. Keep all my money. All my money's mine. <laughs> Is that hard? Do you, are you reaching out to everyone just at random, or do you have a select few people that I mean, you know are going to say, hey, yeah, come on down? I mean, at this point, it's like I've been doing it for so long, I kind of know who runs what in most cities or the people that I want to, or I could get to somebody very easily. You know, I've got a pretty good rep uh, nationally um, with people on a certain level, and, like, you know, it's not hard for me to kind of, like, figure out who the new person is running something if somebody retired or something too it's not too hard and you also have that your podcast which i would mm-hmm. imagine helps because you've kind of cultivated that group yeah. of people that really enjoy what you do yeah and definitely. are gonna show up if if they're around mm-hmm. exactly yeah we've got like a nice built-in listenership there which is cool and it's like nice to get to meet um all the brunettes that listen to us around the country <laughs> tends brunettes to be, are a strong base <laughs> tends to be a lot of brunettes with bangs is uh <laughs> is very much our vibe which is an interesting funny. demographic okay <laughs> yeah it's it's funny and then it's usually funny because like they'll usually bring a a lot of them will bring a friend to the show too so it's usually like a brunette who brought her other brunette <laughs> so, double up yeah it always cracks me up <laughs> would you are do you get more intimidated getting on stage or doing the podcast Neither of them intimidate me. You're yeah. just, well, you've been doing it for so long. Yeah. I imagine it's pretty. Yeah, they're both fun. I mean, it's like I, you know, I've been doing it long enough that like I trust myself. And um, I mean, if a show is, if I can feel that a room is going to be really rowdy, it's not intimidation so much as just like, okay, let me, 
I want to get on stage to see what that's going to feel like, to see what I need to do to be in control, basically. Um, never had that situation with the podcast, though. Podcast, it's like, you know, there's nothing live about it. You it's can, easy. You can edit and you can be like, yeah, let's cut all that or whatever. <laughs> Are hecklers hard to deal with? Do you get a lot of those? I don't get that many. Um, very rarely have I gotten heckled. Um, that's not an invitation for those for those watching um most comics don't want to deal with it it's not it's not it's annoying more than anything else um there's a couple different kinds though there's a there's like the heckler that is just not used to being in a comedy show so that they're kind of talking but they don't they're like being supportive but they don't realize they're being interrupted that that, that they're not helping not aware they're fucking up the show exactly and like those people it's like very easy just to be like hey man love you how about you just laugh along you kind of train them a little bit during your set or like that's the way i deal with it and there are people that like are a little bit drunk but they still are like trying to help and like you can kind of be a little bit more patient with them but try to shut them down quicker than you know sooner than later and then there's like the assholes but like you've clearly triggered something in them with something you've said and like i just i don't fuck with them i just like will say shut the fuck up we're not playing this and then i try to get them bounced out as quick as possible because it's not you know, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. And it's also it's making the show about that person. And it's not, um, you know, other, everyone else in the room paid to paid to see you perform and do do the best that you can. And like this person is disrupting it and, you know, wasting everyone else's time and money to so get rid of them. Do you have a certain approach that you take? Do you are you nice the first time and then you roast them or it's do you just try to get strikes, them out? Two strikes you're out with me. Two strikes. Where I'll just try to be nice. I'll be very nice once. And I'll be like nice and a little bit forceful. And then if like you still are pushing it, then it, it's like, all right, we're done. You got to go. You got to go, man. It's just not fun anymore for anybody. Um, and I won't, I, w- I will mostly just do that and then roast them once they're out of the room kind of. But it's like, I don't, I don't like to escalate, especially, you know, in the client we live in now. You don't know what anybody has on them or, you know, anything that can happen. It doesn't feel like a smart idea i think for me at least to be picking fights with <laughs> yeah especially now where people feel it's okay to bum rush the stage yeah. you don't want to yeah get involved or but you know people have guns and shit like that it's like any you know i've i've done shows in like you know uh, places where i'm like oh this is like an open carry state or like somebody could have something here let's not like pick a fight with somebody and that hasn't really been an issue that i've had to deal with too much but it is like a concern to have <laughs> does that weigh at the back of your mind a lot because that's something I I hadn't really thought about mm-hmm. until the whole Chris Rock thing. Yeah, that people would come up on stage and try to attack you. No, I don't. That that, that none of that. It's shit. still rare, right? It's still incredibly rare, and it's like you know that was two millionaires duking it out. Whatever, like that that whole thing was stupid. <laughs> it wasn't a full on brawl. No. I think if you had that situation at like a local club and someone just got the shit beat out of them, then it would be. You'd start thinking, okay, maybe we need to yeah. do something. Is there a bouncer at most of these clubs that kind of watches out for you guys? I mean, some clubs have them, some clubs don't, but there's also whoever's running the show. Um, you know, you just got to hope that they're willing to step up for you. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, it's just like, I'll shut a show down completely. And because I, I can sit in awkwardness way longer than anybody else in that room. It's like, that's part of the superpower of being a comic where it's like, oh, I'll make everybody have a really bad time until somebody gets rid of that person. And if they come up on stage, I'll just keep moving them from, I mean, yeah, it's not, I have no problem grinding a room to a halt to punish somebody. <laughs> That's been one yeah. of my biggest struggles doing this uh-huh. is just sitting in the pause yeah. and being okay with that and letting uh-huh. the moment hang for a few seconds. Oh, nice. Well, do you feel like you've gotten better at it as long as you've done it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the more of these that I do, the more comfortable I feel with it. But nice. in the beginning, it was rough. I yeah. felt like I had to 
you couldn't leave any silence. You had to eat every moment and just keep it going, that constant mm-hmm. pace. Well, and that's a, that's a, you know, that's anytime you're learning to perform, like that is what you do. You fill the space until you learn to kind of let yourself breathe. Cause like, and that's just the confidence of performance basically to be like, oh, I, I'll know how to fix it if I have to. It's fine. <laughs> and sometimes you have to let a moment hang to really reinforce somebody's idea. Yeah. If somebody said something, maybe mm-hmm. they said something crazy or brilliant. Yeah. And if you just jump right in, you kind of fuck up that moment. Yeah, exactly. And it's just fine to, you know, take a beat, listen to it and actually hear it. And what does that mean to you versus just talking without the thought of it, too? I mean, I think that's a thing that a lot of people fall into, you know, when they when they're starting to learn everything. Yeah. Or even just talking to somebody in just a normal conversation. Yeah. And a normal conversation. They, Mm -hmm. they're not talking and listening, thinking, Oh, that, let me think about what this person just said. It's, is it my turn to talk now? Can I jump in? Yes. Do I get to go now? (laughs) And that fucks up a lot of people. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Is, is that kind of pacing? Is that pretty hard to learn when you're up on stage and you do have the awkwardness from the audience when you're starting out? I mean, it, it, it's it's just it just is what it is. It's just it's the the several first several years. It's like you, it's you thinking you're being funny and like you're like oh I wrote my jokes well, but it's just learning to, it's learning to it's like the art of the one sided conversation was where I feel like where it's just like you are learning like you're talking to somebody, but it's like not really about them. Like it, there's no room for a response basically, and the only way to do that is just to get the reps in. You just have to be on stage as much as possible for a few years to kind of just know what it feels like to just be in that. Um, I always call it like, um, you, you also are just kind of like, even without talking, you're in control of the energy of a room a little bit in those kind of situations. And that you can only learn from just doing it and kind of just sitting in it on stage. And I always call it like, I, you want to bring like this, this casual alpha and energy to the stage where it's just like, I'm in control cause I got the microphone, but everybody's cool with it. And like, that's just the vibe you want to put out because the second when you lose an audience is when they sense fear from you or they sense that you're not in control anymore and that's when a group of people will be like well who's in charge then that's and that's the thing you never want to show anybody that it just starts devolving into chaos yeah exactly because like it's a group of people and they're like well what oh, who but who who's who's in we charge need a leader. yeah yeah we need a leader and it's like it's your job as the person on stage with the microphone you are the leader that's why it's like important to keep your cool <laughs> is that a scary moment when the bomb starts to come on and you can feel the audience starting to turn against you or you're starting to lose control it can be a little bit scary but like the longer you do it i mean your definition of a bomb changes a lot over time when you first start and you just like feel a room just like not knowing what the hell you're doing like that that sucks um but then the older you get the longer you're doing comedy it's like to me there's like now i haven't had like a set like that in years but now it's like Comedy, I think, is like the art of like embracing failure, where even like a joke that's doing well, you're like, okay, this like five minute bit, the, there's like three or four moments in it that didn't hit as hard as the rest of it. So those are the parts of that joke that bombed. Okay. And like they did well, but they weren't like at the, at the level you want it to be. So you start like, I at least look for, uh, look for those tiny failures because that, those are the cracks that make everything better. You know, something that constantly gets hit, constantly hits and like it always works. That, that's done. There's nothing interesting about that anymore. Because it's like, okay, cool, awesome. It works. I, yeah, it works. It's done. I know that that's good to go. I know I can use it at any point. And it's fun um, because you can, you know, you could get your ego stroke and bust that out. But the work is still in the places where the tiny bombs are. So you kind of segment up your bits in the mm-hmm. sense that, oh, this first part 
might work and maybe it's the second part that I need to adjust. Yeah, exactly. Or like you um, add new tags to a joke or you kind of expand something. Like there's definitely audiences that if they if they aren't like big laughers or something, but you can tell uh, there's there's a lot of people sometimes that you'll see that just kind of like politely nod and like smile and like they are really enjoying themselves. They're not just outward laughers. With those people, it can be really hard to like get a get a joke rolling. Um, so I'll kind of have a more condensed version of something because you aren't kind of building off the laughs of something, you know, it's, it's kind of each, each of my jokes kind of has like a, an expanding or a contracting version of itself based on how, how good of an audience you're working with that night. And that's gotta be kind of hard to gauge because how do you know if a joke really hits if the audience is just like yeah. slow nodding, looking at you? No, exactly. You kind of try to find a few people that you're like, okay, I can see you're doing. I can see you're really enjoying yourself. I I know that you're enjoying yourself, and it's this is the this is how you're doing it. Okay, I don't take it personally that you're not like dying, scream laughing or anything over. like that. Yeah, that's just not that's not everybody's style of laughing, and you know, good not to take things personally. Is it easier to get an audience on your side if you do have a couple loud laughers kick it off? I find that it, it tends to be most people, I think, don't want to make a lot of noise. Uh, so they like if they're but if if people are, are are starting to laugh, it will open everybody up more. But they do need to be like a couple of people. They're like, oh, OK, we're having fun. We can laugh out loud. That's why it's also nice to have like dark lights, you know, or, or like have lights turned down on the crowd. Like so they can kind of be in the dark and not feel like they're being seen. I try not to like I don't really engage any audience members until like if if until a little bit into my set. So they also feel um, safe, like they're not going to be talked to because that can also make them like, I don't want anyone to see me. But I'll kind of, as I'm telling jokes, I'll kind of make eye contact with people in the front, like smile at them when I'm doing jokes just to be like, I'm safe. I'm nice. I'm not talking to you. Don't worry. Just have fun, <laughs> you know, and like only kind of ask um, rhetorical questions and stuff like that, basically. Do you do a lot of crowd work in your set? No. No? No. Uh-uh. I'm not a huge... I, I like to I'm a, I like to write my jokes and then bring them to the stage. And some some people are very good at crowd work and like I'm I'm decent at it, but I would rather you know kind of work out an idea before I'm just kind of riffing it off the top of my head. Sometimes stuff I'll I'll riff out with somebody if if something goes somewhere, but it's not like it's not you're not going in with that intention. Yeah, that's not what I'm working towards. Is that a different skill than writing or all yes. kind? It does. Yeah, it is completely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a very different thing. Also, like it's it's um. It's, you know, it, it's it's an interesting thing to build. It's like there are comics like uh, like Jimmy Pardo is an amazing example of somebody that just he his whole set is riffed, basically. And he like um, has different bits that he does with audience members. and He can kind of like build them towards something and be like, oh, I talked to you about this. Talk to you about that. Those things that becomes this or something like that. And he's just kind of orchestra. He's like an or orchestra director. Conductor is the word I'm looking for. Um and like there are people that do that and like that's what they do. It's a completely different kind of stand up. And I, I love watching it because it's just not how my brain works. It's almost like that muscle that you have to flex a little more and Definitely. get used to just riffing with the crowd. Because you're in the moment, yeah. really, in that sense, because Very much so. you don't know where it's gonna go or what somebody's gonna say to you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's it's it is fun because I've done I would never go up like with that just as my intention for a set, but I've gone up um and then had somebody say something and then that just turns into a thing we come back to. And like, like my sets are still pretty loose. Like I know these are the jokes I'm going to do, but they aren't so defined that I can't kind of leave them and come back to them or whatever. Um, and I'm pretty like, I'm still pretty loosey goosey on stage. I try to be, but I, I st always want to get out the stuff that I've been working on. That's what I'm more interested in. How do you come up with a bit? Um, just like 
usually my stuff's just based off of things that I see or, you know, stuff that happens to me. And then I'll try to, I try to take like a mundane situation and extrapolate it to a crazy place is usually what I'm trying to do or, or trying to find like, um, a, a commonality in people like, Hey, this is a funny thing that we all do or something like that. And, and try to, I think comedy is at, at its best when it is, um, making people feel like they're not alone, you know? So it's like, Oh God, I also think that, or that also happened to me or something like that, you know? Kind of unifying everybody under this idea. Yeah, exactly. Do you do you write or do you pull a lot of it from when you're on stage or just out in life more so? It's more, yeah, it's more like, oh, that thing happened. I'm going to talk about that on stage tonight. Here are a couple of fun ideas about it. And then I'll try to riff around that for at the beginning. Um, I rarely sit down with a pen and paper and I'm just like, this is the bit that I am working on. Like, this is the idea that can break it out from there. But there are times where... Usually when I'm when I'm driving places or from the shower, I'm like thinking about an idea and then I'm like, oh, OK, that's what that joke is actually about. And then I'll try to, you know, bullet point out a couple of things. To, but I usually uh, finish putting it together on stage. When when you're putting it together on stage, how do you know if it's going to work out? Do you test it at three or four different shows or is there a point where you say, I got to give up on this one? Um, yeah, you, you usually bring it to a couple of different places. Um. And then see like what is hitting and what is not. I mean, I I usually know if I can tell if like the kernel of something works or not. And then I know, okay, well, that works. I don't know the format of the whole thing yet. Let's figure that part out. Um, like very quickly I can know if I should be like, oh, okay, that's like too niche of a thing or too esoteric of an idea to do in stand-up, get rid of that. That's usually my what I get rid of. But like, um, yeah, it's just kind of bringing that on stage, seeing what people connect to it, and then trying to figure out how that fits into like my point of view as a comic or whatever. Because it seems like I would imagine the audiences are pretty diverse most times. Mm -hmm. And so you wouldn't want to just throw it away after the first one. No, no, no. But after the 10th one, if you're still not getting laughs, are you like, yeah, there still might be some gold in this. I just haven't figured out how to put it together. Yeah, exactly. And then there's definitely some like premises that I've been like, okay, this is something I don't know that I know what it is yet, but I'll you can just feel it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll keep this. I'll have this written down and then if something usually what happens is something later will be like, oh, that's how I talk about that, you know, and then you kind of try to find it. That becomes the callback or like that becomes the thing that that bit was actually about or something. It's so. all about just the time and spacing of, OK, I've got this mm -hmm. idea. Maybe I'll put it away for a second. And then if something else comes in, yeah, it fits with it. I can use that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of comedy, but the mm -hmm. idea of getting on stage to do it kind of scares me. I well, think good. Most, I think most Don't people do are calling this. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, wait, it's uh, audience members. People that are fans of comedy are much more important than comedians. <laughs> There's too many people that want to be comedians right now anyway. <laughs> really? I always thought... The common thing was that there aren't enough comedians out there. Oh, God, no, there's way too many. <laughs> that kind of feels like podcasting nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Because what, four million podcasts or something? Something like that, for sure. <laughs> so too many comics. Yeah, but I mean, I, I want everyone to try it, but like... Too many comics or too many bad comics? Well, too many bad comics, for sure. But I've seen people that I never thought would get good also get good. So I don't like want to take say that nobody should be trying it or whatever. I'm like, go for it. Um, but... It is a grind and it hurts to do for the, especially those first couple of years where you're just not good. You, you can be funny and you can like figure out how to get laughs, but like you aren't, you, you, you don't have the consistency in your bones yet. It just takes a while for that to kind of like really sink in. Um, and if that isn't like a constant, so if that isn't constantly intriguing to you and you don't find joy in it, don't do it. <laughs> it's almost that idea of being a glutton for punishment, right? Yes. Where you're just going to, 
you have to accept the idea that you're going to eat shit for an extended period of time. Basically, yeah. I mean, that is that is it. I mean, it's like I've I enjoy it because I feel like it has been a different challenge every night, and I haven't been bored in almost 16 years. So it's a nice way to just be like. Oh, okay. Like, okay, so what's the challenge tonight? Like, what are they going to like? What aren't they going to like? What's good about this room? Like, oh, what's like a funny thing I could say that relates specifically to this place or something like that? You know, how can I tailor this set differently? And I think, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's just always a little bit different and challenging. Yeah, you don't seem like the type that would enjoy a desk job. Where it's the same thing. I've in and had them. I mean, yeah, I've I've had them, and I, there is something nice about you know knowing that your your bills are paid, and you know. But I'm I'm like I when I've had them is I've also been doing comedy at the same time, and it's nice to I think have like a a creative outlet for me is just something that's always been important. Was there ever a time when you were starting out that you thought of leaning the other way and going more into the desk job thing? Um, I mean. Yeah, from time to time, there's 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 thoughts where it's like, I mean, I, I'm very good at, I'm very good at logistics and stuff like that. Like I plan all my own touring. Um, I've self released my albums. Uh, I every every like I'm and I'm I'm very good at Google and Excel and all that kind of stuff. And you know, um, there's been times where I've been like, oh, I I could like I'd very happily I'd be a very good tour manager. Like I'd be very good at like any stuff on like the business side of it. But you know. I can do that and I can also do this. <laughs> yeah, and it works in yeah. the sense that you could do it for yourself that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm a person that like, you know, there's the people that like live to work and there are people that work to live basically. And, um, you know, me, my, my job needs to like, for me, it needs to matter. Like it needs to matter what I do. Like that I get a lot of fulfillment from my work versus it being like just the thing that pays my bills and then that pays for, you know, hobbies or other things like that. Like I would, I, I would not be very happy. It's a that's a rough road to go down when you do something you don't enjoy just because it pays the bills. And yeah, you just em embrace that and say, okay, this is yeah what I'm gonna do. And for I've, eight hours a day, I'm gonna hate life, and then I get to be home and do what I enjoy. Yeah, I have a lot of friends that that do that, and they're you know they've got really nice houses. I don't know how much they enjoy everything else. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think a lot of people woke up because of COVID. Yeah. from that, I think and, so too, and realized. I don't want to be where I am. I want yeah. to be doing something else. Maybe I, mm -hmm. maybe I need to give that a try. The question is how, how many people will take the jump? Realizing it's the first part, taking the jump is the second part. Because you can say, I recognize I don't like where I am in life. Yeah. But are you going to do anything to change it? Yeah. What are you going to do to force that? Are you able to? You know, I mean, like we, upward mobility in this country is like, a, a fun lie we like to tell ourselves that it's yeah it's easy bootstraps blah 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 and it's like no, there's a lot working against people but okay <laughs> did you know that comedy was always something you wanted to do or how did you find that yeah I always um I always loved comedy I mean when I was a kid I I was like a huge Jim Carrey fan like I'm 38 so it's like Jim Carrey was like it for me when I was a kid and like my stand-up is nothing like him but like I was obsessed with him and his movies I loved watching SNL like all the comedies that were on TV when I was a kid and everything. I wasn't like a huge stand-up fan, really, until I moved to LA. Um, but uh, I wanted to, I wanted to like work in comedy. I didn't know what that meant though. Um, so I went to college for uh, like film, film and video production, and just learned. I was like, okay, well, this will get me like towards TV and movies. This is moves in that direction. I don't really know what I want, but I want to be in here. And from there, I was like, I was writing funny shorts and stuff like that, like. Um, and was like, okay, sketch. This could be kind of cool. This is fun. I like these ideas. And then, you know, when I moved out to LA, 
I was writing for a sketch. I was like working as a production assistant in a bunch of like TV shows and music videos and stuff like that. And um, I would just go to uh, shows at like the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and um, they had just these really awesome stand-up shows that I was like, oh, stand-up's really fun. I like that it's just one person. And it's like, I was always writing funny things. And I was like, oh, some of these sketches, actually, I think they're better jokes. Like, it's better if I just explain the thing. Um, so I started going to open mics and just was like, oh, yeah, I like this. This is this is the thing that I think I would be very good at. So from the beginning of getting on stage, you were pretty hard set that, yeah, yeah this is this mm-hmm. is a fit for me. Yeah, definitely. It was, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I got, I got a lot of good um, feedback early on too. From people that were better than you or just from other yeah. comics? Yeah. Yeah. People that were coming up were like, oh, there's like, you have like an interesting, you have an interesting thing going on. Like, I like the stuff you're talking about. Like you're, you, you've got like a promise and stuff like that. So it was, it was very nice to feel, um, feel supported very early on from some people. How would you describe your style of comedy? Um, kind of like. Uh, I do these kind of longer bits that are like, um, uh, I, it's, it's funny. I, I, I write like two to three minute bits that feel to me more like, uh, like, like peppy rants kind of like, I feel like ska music is like a big influence on me. Like that kind of vibe is like what I try to bring to the stage kind of just this kind of like peppy ranty, like, you know, about shit in life. (laughs) Sky music? Ska music? You know, ska. I don't yeah. know what that is. You don't know what ska is? I do not. Oh, man. Um, you know, like uh, Rubik Fish or Less Than Jake or like Money Bay Boston's? Nope. Completely I'm over just, my head. I'm is just that, saying names to you. That yeah. You don't know? Is that a certain genre? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's kind of like uh, punk rock meets reggae is kind of the intersection of it. Like the specials, Madness. This is hilarious. I haven't even heard the mixture of punk rock and reggae. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a whole whole genre. There's three different waves of it. It started um in Jamaica, is like where where it came from originally. Um second wave existed in 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 the UK, kind of started from there and like came up as like a um a retaliation to like the racist segregation of like the UK in the eighties and everything like the seventies and eighties. And then the third wave started in America um in like the early nineties. Um, yeah. I'll like have to whole... check that out. Yeah, I have yeah. not heard of that. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah please. I, I have playlists I can send you. I, yeah, it's my I'll, favorite shit. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. I didn't know that was a, a mixture. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you talk about politics in your comedy at all? Is that a pretty big thing amongst comics? Yeah. I mean, all my jokes, I think, are... Uh, all my jokes are political without being like, I'm talking about Joe Biden or whatever. It's like I try to... Every joke that I tell is like... there. You know my point of view politically if you listen to my set, but I'm telling it in a very silly way, basically, because I try to, like, bring everybody in to be like, this is how I feel about stuff. It's kind of a funny bit, because I think if you somebody if somebody is laughing, even if they don't agree with you, you've opened them up maybe a little bit to, like, thinking in a different way. And I found that, like, you know, I perform all over the country. You can say anything as long as you were saying it um, from a place of, like, you know, honesty and, um, you know, like respect basically like you're not just calling people idiots because they don't agree with you it's like what's the point of that you're just pissing people off for no reason and it feels like as long as it's funny it works yeah like if you're up there talking shit about politics and nobody's laughing then they can kind of turn yeah they're laughing you got them you want them over exactly and i think i find that like people have more in common than not i feel like a lot of our political system is very, um, it really wants there to be this huge divide, but it's like, if you actually look at individual shit, most people have agree on like, 
yeah, the government's fucking up all the time. We're all mad at them. At what level are at what level do you stop being mad at them is a different question. And like, who are you blaming for all of it is a different thing. But we're all frustrated by the same stuff, you know. And I find that if you can kind of get to that point and speak from that place, most people are like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> that's again, that's what I love about podcasting is you get yeah. to see that you get to see that. Oh, most people agree on the same shit. Yeah, and then there's just you go online you see this Mm -hmm. this toxic divide and it seems like it's reinforced but if you come back into the real world yeah we all pretty much we all pretty much agree yeah a lot of us do and it's also like there's you know there's a nuance that can be lost online through a lack of tone a lack of eye contact there's a lot a lack of um you know just like connection there you know you're also on something like twitter where you only have a short certain amount of characters it's like how nuanced can you be in 140 characters <laughs> you know so it's and and you also get the dopamine hit of like oh yeah i'm like really giving it to him and it's like you're Joking on somebody yeah and you're speaking in divisive language versus like if you saw that person on a bus and you guys got to talk and you wouldn't go from that pres- pres- you know that that perspective well the anonymity aspect comes into play yes, with that too for sure because yeah. Half the shit that gets said online wouldn't be said face to face. Yeah. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. And it's like, all right, that's cool. You're hiding my behind your computer. My my thing is, I'm always like, you got something else going on. This isn't about me. I hope you figure it out. <laughs> I believe in healthcare for all, so you can figure it out. Uh, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> do you engage a lot with your fan base on social media? Or do you try to just do it after the shows? No, I talk to people online. You know, people like um. On on uh, Instagram, especially like people like post stories of silly stuff and people write in and I'm thankful that like I'm I'm proud that the fan base that I built are like very kind, very nice, funny people, too. Um, So that's usually who interacts with me. But, you know, if you're a troll or something, I just block people immediately. I'm like, I'm gonna you got more time than you deserved anyway. Bye. <laughs> that's the big thing. If you're if you're spewing hate online. Yeah. Probably have too much free time on your hands. Yeah, I think so. And like you're you're also hurting. You know, what I mean yeah, like nobody's doing that and loves their life and yeah. is happy and fulfilled. Exactly. It's like you're like, you know, my thing is like, you know, I try to just extend empathy towards it to be like, okay, this is you're a hurt person and I'm sorry for whatever hurt you. Um, this is not about me. I'm checking out. Yeah. See you later, man. I hope you figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about diving into the comments. Yeah, yeah. Because it can get dicey sometimes. No, it can definitely get dicey. Like, is it worth it? I don't know. <laughs> you know? I do like the idea of using it to build a community. I think that's yeah. a great medium. Mm-hmm. But then you have the trolls or you have the people that are just spewing shit to yeah. talk shit. And it's like, oh, you don't want to just respond to the good comments because then are you cultivating some some fake image? But then you can't spend six hours engaging with the people that are just no. hating on you. Yeah, no, don't talk to them. They don't matter. Yeah. The people that, like, my whole thing is the people that are, like, enjoying your stuff, they're the ones that are going to pay your bills. So that's who I talk to. You know, the ones that are, like, saying that, that I fucking suck or whatever. It's like, okay. Oh, you're never going to buy a ticket? Bye. <laughs> please. Please never see me again. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, if they're coming out of the gate and you know that they're not yeah. going to support you, it's like, okay, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, there's a lot of people in the world. Go support somebody else. I hope you find somebody that does make you happy. I'm, if I'm not it, that's cool. Bye. <laughs> yeah, what? The whole engaging in the hate thing. Yeah. It's it's pointless. Yeah. It's very pointless and it just really comes from a place of um I think wanting to feel heard usually where I'm like, oh, you you're yelling at strangers online because you don't feel heard in your life. Why don't you feel heard in your life? Um, how can you work on that? That's not my problem to fix it, but that is usually what I think is going on. 
you know, and then it's like, okay, well, that's once once you actually do internalize, I think the like, oh, that's somebody else's, that's that that person's problem, that's not me. Then I find it very easy just to be like, all right, check out, yeah, see ya, bye. <laughs> Did you have that perspective from the beginning? Because I would imagine it going on stage, being in this vulnerable spot, mm-hmm. that would be something you'd have to work on. Yeah, I mean, it it takes a while to kind of really, I think understand that and like kind of like because you, you do get de- you get defensive it's like hard you know one wants to read bad shit about themselves that's yeah, human nature yeah of course anybody's like okay please just be nice to me but i guess you won't be whatever <laughs> um but i think you like uh yeah you just kind of the, the more confident in your own skills you get i find that you know the more you're like oh yeah well i've i've performed in front of enough audiences that i know that you calling me an unfunny idiot is like not true <laughs> so that's your problem okay i'm sorry you didn't like me that's all right keep I'm, it moving yeah yeah exactly and that's just you know the longer you do it the more it's like just not it, it, i i try to think that i'm like does does somebody like tom hanks just like scroll his phone to see bad shit people are saying about him no he's got more important things to do that'd be pretty funny if he did though it'd be hilarious up until four in the morning like, oh my god yeah exactly be like i'm arguing with tom hanks on youtube yeah. what the hell's going on yeah why is he <laughs> in my twitter mentions right now what's happening yeah exactly so i just try to be like okay well people that like are successful and like seem like they really are enjoying their life and have done a good job like how would they handle this situation it's like oh they wouldn't engage because you're not worth their time all right cool that's probably a good thing to go with then and it's just not manageable at scale yeah i mean if you've got four thousand people mm-hmm. even just that four thousand people mm-hmm. and a third of those people don't like you yeah that's a lot of comments coming yeah, your way it's like exactly. how, why why spend any time engaging in that yeah no exactly there's no reason and there's no reason to you know it's it's not those those people that just they have some other shit to figure out and that's on them to figure out and it's not my problem <laughs> does it get dicey Talking politics on stage because politics in general, uh-huh. I've found at least doing this is it yeah. can go it can go either way. People can want to talk about it. People can yeah. lose their cool when you start going into that realm. I mean, I think if you can remove your ego from it, I think that's the biggest. Thing. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And I do find that like if you if you speak if you speak honestly and without condescension, people will people will listen even if they don't agree with you. You know, and then it's like I always like I go, hey, look, this is how I feel. You might feel differently. I got the microphone. I'm talking for a second. It's my turn. I don't think you're an. I don't necessarily think you're an asshole. There's certain views that obviously I think you're an asshole if you have them. But like, I also don't necessarily think if we disagree, you are outright an asshole out of the gate. So how about I just tell you how I feel? You want to talk after the show? You can come talk to me after the show. You know, and you know, I've had some nice conversations with people that are like, oh, I didn't think about it like that because I think so. People get so very like, um. You know, the, the way that the media is set up in, 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 in every direction is to try to keep you relegated from each other and to think the other is this, like, horrible monster. And then you're like, no, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I promise I'm not. And I, I, you probably aren't either. I, I think you've probably been misled in some way um, because I think, you know, the way that things are set up, like, you know, they, the media wants to keep this, like... Um, echo chamber. This echo chamber and this duopoly of these two different... Uh, parties and things and i think it's all corrupt and garbage you know and people usually especially older people are very like oh you don't like the democrats either and you're like yeah most people don't like any of it (laughs) yeah your actual problem is with all of it too (laughs) you know and i find that that's that tends to be you know a, a good way to break things down 
the writing the party line thing is the craziest to me that you have to yeah. check every box yeah. otherwise you don't fit in it's like well we can't just take the ideas we agree with from yeah. both sides like wh- where's the nuance in that conversation well i also think that it's like that both sides i mean if we're looking at like the u.s government system too both sides are also like they're getting money from all the same people so it's like you're being given a false choice i think a lot of the time you know and i think it's like you know we don't actually have like a a real choice in front of us most of the time with most things it's two sides of the same coin yeah it's all just they're selling you the dream yeah exactly it's like both you know corporations donate to both of these people and they're ultimately the ones that are like pulling the strings in a lot of ways and you're like okay well who actually is supported by the people there's very few people in a position of power for that that actually are because they you know it's very hard because of the money you know it all comes back to the money yeah that's the scary thing yeah it all comes back to the money yeah every time (laughs) yeah it's Again, that's it seems like that's one of the real benefits of comedy is you get to bridge those gaps mm-hmm. if it's funny. People are more willing to just to just be receptive to the idea mm-hmm. if it's coming at them and they're laughing while they get it. Yeah. Whereas if you're sitting across from somebody and you're screaming at each other, yeah. nobody's listening. You're just you're yeah. being reinforced into whatever you walked into that conversation with. Exactly. You're doubling down on your shit and you're also just you're defensive. You're not listening to anything. And why would you be? If someone's screaming at you, you're like Oh, am I going to agree with you? No. Yeah, this doesn't make me want to change sides. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. I just, I always think that like, like la- to the art of laughing, the actual act of laughing is to basically say, I am here and I am full of joy. Like if you are laughing, you cannot actually be afraid in the moment that you are laughing. You know what I mean? Like that is like what laughter is. It's like, haha. like I, I am here and I exist and I am happy. Like that is what a laugh is. And um, if you can get people to that place, they're much more open to listen to you with things. It's hard to be angry and laugh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hard to do that. Yeah, exactly. If anything, it's like you laugh when you're angry as like a release from that anger to like manage yourself, you know? Or like you laugh when you're anxious kind of for the same reason. It's like you trying to like reset your equilibrium. Yeah, you can laugh when you're uncomfortable, right? That comes out into play. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. But angry laughing doesn't really come into the fold. Not often. Yeah. Yeah, very, very rarely. If anything, it's... Just, I mean, yeah, you're not laughing at something because you're angry at it. You're mostly laughing because you're just trying to, like, get away from that emotion, usually. And it breaks down the tension. Mm-hmm. Everybody's laughing. Yeah. We might not a- agree on yeah. everything, but we're having fun. Yeah. And we're all here for the same reasons. We all want to laugh. Yeah. is One of the things, as a spectator, that I've heard mm-hmm. over the years is that there are these ages of comedy where it's easier to say dicey things or to engage people and then harder. Do you buy into any of that? No, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. <laughs> it's all bullshit. If anything, I think the audience has, um, uh, comedy audiences because there's so much comedy now, there is a more refined palette. So they might not laugh at the same hacky shit that they've laughed at for a long time. That might not used to be hacky, but now it is because so they've heard it so many times. They're like, you know, people are just have a much more like discerning palette for comedy than they used to. And I think also, um, people, uh, there's a more uh, diverse audience and stuff too. And people are, might not necessarily laugh at your worldview because it's like, oh, well, that I don't understand that. Or like that feels demeaning to me. And that's their right to not laugh at it, you know? So I think comedians can just get very, very childishly defensive about it in a way that I'm like, okay, as opposed to saying, well, I wonder, okay, why don't they like that? Is the point for me to make an audience laugh? Yes. You know, so why aren't they laughing at this? So what what could I what where is my thought process wrong 
that I'm missing out on. And so many comics just aren't analyzing that anymore because I think so many comics, especially going in like an edgy direction, which it's like, what even is edgy? It's like, to me, okay, everything that's ever, everything horrible has ever been said into a microphone. It's already been said. What is edgy? Tell me who you really are. You know, actually share something vulnerable with an audience and then let them decide if they like you or not. That's actually edgy as far as I'm concerned, you know, but just like saying all the same stuff that you that we've heard a million times. You're like, it's old. OK, but it's it's a thing that a lot of young comics kind of go through and then you see it. And the older you get as a comic, though, at least for me, I watch them. I'm just like, oh, you're so scared. You just look so scared on stage when you just are like relying on old like, you know, like racist, misogynist tropes or something. It's like, oh, you're scared to tell me who you are. Like, that's all it looks like to me. Do you think that they're trying to be edgy because it's easier to get a laugh going that way than yeah. it is being yourself up on stage? Yeah, for sure. It's an easy, it's a much easier thing to do. It's like a cop out. Yeah, total cop out. And I think it's like, you know, it's also people being like, oh, they said the thing. And it's like, okay. Shock value. Yeah, it's shock value. And at a certain point, it just feels very cheap. And it's like, that's fine. You want your comedy to be cheap, but like not everybody you know, wants, wants cheap shit all the time. Wants to see that. <laughs> yeah. And it's totally fine. You know, it's not like you aren't being silenced because nobody's laughing. It's everyone's right to not laugh at you, you know, and that's, that's fine. You know, go find an audience that will. Are most comics that are starting out, are they hacky in the sense that they're kind of pulling from everybody that's better than them and they haven't really found their own style yeah, yet? Yeah, that's, that's a thing that happens. I think a lot of people, they like, they, they know who they like and then they're like, okay, and then these are the these are why I like those jokes. Oh, I want to write a joke like that. And it's like you do kind of you have like mini there's like mini Bill Hickses and like mini Kyle Canaan's and like little mini versions of like Sarah Silverman and stuff when you're starting Dave because Chappelle. yeah, Dave Chappelle because you're just like trying to understand the structure of what a joke is. So you're writing your kind of your version of like what your bad version of what one of those jokes would be. Um, most comics, if they do it longer, they evolve. You, you find your own voice. That's what those first few years are, is just being like, oh, okay, I liked these people. I'm in this style. But like, what, what really sets, what sets me apart from that? And that's just doing it over time and kind of like saying the stuff and eventually finding the way that you do it. Some people don't find that. And that's fine. It just depends on how serious you want to be. Yeah, you don't want to be the person that's still doing the same old jokes. Yeah. Ten years down the road. And you're still biting off somebody else's style. Yeah, exactly. And there are people that do that. And you're like, okay, that's fine. I mean... You can do you can do that. Everyone can do what they want, but you know. it's weird because you can't do that in comedy, but you can do that in music. You can yeah. have an Elvis impersonator and be uh-huh. uh, have a su- have a successful career and yeah. do that for twenty five years, and you're just pretending yep. to be Elvis yeah. for your career. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's... But that would never work if somebody came on stage and they're like, "I'm going to impersonate Dave Chappelle," or "I'm going to impersonate well, you know, it's Chris funny. Rock or whoever." You know, it's funny. I've done. Um, there was like an all female comedy competition in California that I did years ago. It was really bad. Uh, but I, I made it to like the third round and the gal that beat me in the third round, she was straight up just doing Richard Pryor jokes. Um, verbatim. Like almost verbatim. Yeah. But they were like, I mean, I, I recognized them and I was like, but she brought a ton of people who like all voted for her and stuff. And I was like, all right, whatever. You'll, but also, you'll never get anything of note with that. Like, you're never going to get late night with prior jokes. You're never going to get a special of any kind. Like, I guess you can record an album, but you're never... Audiences are smart. They know if it's an original thought from you or not. Like, they will know if it's you or not. You know, and people get called out for joke theft every once in a while, but it's like, parallel thought does occur, but you would you could never build a career off of somebody else's act. Well, and with Richard Pryor... Mm-hmm. 
I would imagine you could almost kind of get away with that with most people because how many yeah would be able to tell oh that's a prior joke mm-hmm. prior joke unless yeah really into comedy exactly yeah which is where it all kind of washes out eventually because it's like anybody that is going to like any kind of gatekeepers in comedy like at a certain point they'll be like oh yeah this is not <laughs> this is not you okay that's fine you know and she you know she performs doesn't she's not a headliner anywhere she doesn't really tour or anything like that i haven't seen her name anywhere in forever but i also don't think there's anything necessarily wrong at that level like i mean i think it's like you don't really know you might not know that that's wrong because of like covers and music and stuff like that but you're not gonna just not gonna get very far i've seen people do steve martin material on stage and i'm like oh well all right this club booked them for five minutes but like they're you're not gonna you're never gonna go where you could go yeah with with, with original material yeah yeah Yeah, you'll just it, it it kind of all stops itself at a certain point i think and i think comedy really is like the great equalizer in a lot of ways because people will just be like oh okay yeah i'm not that didn't hit me because it wasn't really who they were. That's what you hear. And if you're funny, you're funny. Nothing else yeah. matters. Mm-hmm. It's just, you got to be funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The joke theft, is that pretty common at lower levels? I would imagine, like you said, once you get high enough, yeah. it would be weaned out. You, it wouldn't be sustainable. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it doesn't, honestly, it, I don't think it happens very often at all. I think, most of the time it is kind of parallel thought, like especially with observational comedy. If like, if, if like a thousand people look at this camera at, and have, you know, two of them are going to have the same thought about it. You know what I mean? But if I tell a joke about like, uh, like shopping for my mom's funeral clothes, how many people are going to have the exact same point of view as that? So I tend to try to do like more, um, more personal stuff because I'm like, well, okay, that's like only going to come from me because I'm the only person that saw it with my eyes in that moment. So you're, wor- you're actually working that into your bits as you're coming up with them. The idea that, oh, I don't want it to be parallel thought. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause I'll try to analyze an idea to be like, oh, that's funny. Like, okay. I have like a funny thing to say about this monster energy drink. Okay. Well, but like, what's how, how, how is that thought going to be different than a t- 10,000 other people's thoughts about the exact same thing. How do I make it unique and personal to me? Mm -hmm. I think Twitter is like a really good example of just being like, if you write a funny joke, go search for that joke and then be like, oh yeah, 10 other people thought of that. Whatever. We can all have the same thing on Twitter. It doesn't matter. None of us are like, you know, selling that one liner on Twitter. But I do think it's a good like reminder of like, yeah, no one's stealing anything here. It's just a bunch of people thought the same thing about the same thing. And that happens, I think, a lot more often than people think. And you can forget that you saw something too. That does yeah. happen. Oh, where you think that's definitely a thing. You come up with this mm-hmm. idea and you're like, this is great. And then you realize, oh, this has been yeah. out there forever. And I must have come across that now. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's like, I mean, Robin Williams notoriously would like, he was like a sponge and he wouldn't realize it because he's his sets when he would go on stage later, he would he was such a riff machine that like his brain was pulling shit that he forgot that he'd even seen somewhere else. And people would come up to him and be like, dude, you're doing my bit. He'd be like, oh, fuck, I'm sorry. And he would give people $500 just to be like, I did not mean I did that. I did like, you know, and he genuinely didn't realize that's what he was doing a lot of the time. That seems like the way to do it. Yeah. Just be genuine about it. Yeah. If you do bite somebody else's bit, then say, okay, my bad. Mm-hmm. And walk away. You don't want to be the person that keeps doing it. Yeah, exactly. It's like genuineness and like empathy. I think honestly, if everybody had a little bit more, a lot of problems would be fixed. When you when you specifically were starting out, mm-hmm. how did you have a moment where you said, "Okay, 
like I'm good at this, like this could actually be something or is it you just have to keep pushing and hope that you get some external feedback in that sense? Or how do you know if you can actually do it or not? I mean, so when I started in L.A., I I took like a stand-up comedy class, uh, like a three-week just workshop thing just to kind of with a teacher to be like, what is a joke? How do you put? And she put us on stage to be like, go talk about something from your day or whatever. And we would do that a couple of times. Um, and it was like I I just had a couple of funny thoughts that people were like, oh, that was funny. And she was like, you're new. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, you know, but I've, I've been thinking in comedy my whole life. Like, I was always funny with my friends. I wasn't, like, a class clown, but, like, with my friends, I was really the funny one. Um, and then I also kind of come to things from, like, a very DIY punk background. So, like, I was like, okay, well, the way I get good at this is I'm going to start an open mic um, because I'm just going to run it because I want to host it. And that gives me more stage time than just doing sets every night. So, you know, very shortly after doing that class, I just I I kind of inherited a mic from somebody else. And then that was me every Wednesday hosting the show. And I kind of made it my own. And um, I from there, I got seen by a lot of people in, in around the L.A. comedy scene at the time. And there was one or two bookers that like were comics that were like, hey, you're funny. You should come to my show. So I kind of like very quickly got on very lower level shows and I got asked to host a lot at a lot of those places too. So it was a very like, I got one or two things kind of quickly. And then that was like, a, Oh, okay. Okay. I guess people must like me. That's cool. Good. I'm gonna keep working on this, you know? So I, I kind of, I, yeah, I got like some external validation kind of quickly and I also just, I enjoyed it and I kind of knew you go to open mics, you see like a very wide variety of people. And I was like, well, I know I'm at least funnier than like half the people here because they are just eating shit constantly. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm at least somewhere in like the top half of like people that are doing this at the moment. Let me try to keep closing that gap as much as possible, basically. And just kind of approached it from that place. Sometimes seeing people that suck is really helpful. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And just saying, okay, not that bad. Yeah. So maybe I can keep going and maybe I can build it out to be something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's like important to like watch other people and like, I mean, people that are always worried about starting stand up. I'm like, go to an open mic. Honestly, go see how many people are there and see what they're doing and then be like, oh, I my idea of a joke is I, I know more than that. I can do better than that. And I think it's like, you know, not to shit on that person or whoever they are, but it's like, OK, I can be better than that. OK, well, keep trying to work your way up from there. And with you, I would imagine that the starting out in that hosting realm mm -hmm. and kind of going down that path, that must have been incredibly helpful for doing Very. the podcast. I it mean, and was. for your comedy, but yeah, you're kind of engaging more with the crowd in that sense. And then mm -hmm. that translates right into speaking with whoever you're talking to. Yeah, no, definitely. It also was very, um, uh, when you're hosting a stand-up show, you, you know, you have your setup top that you're doing your jokes in, but your time in between people, it's, you're not going to do a whole bit you know, most of the time, like, but it is like, you kind of like have a fun thing to say about the thing they just said, or like, you're kind of in charge of the energy of the room. And that I think is a really important thing to just kind of be in touch with in general. Um, and that is a thing that you you can only just learn by doing that. Like, just cause you're a good standup does not mean that you're a good host. Like you're controlling the energy in a room and kind of maintaining an equilibrium as a host. And that's just kind of something you, you just learn to do from doing it. It's like a different mu muscle. Like we were talking about yep. with riffing with the audience being exactly. able to do that on the spot yeah yeah and also just learning to trust you learn to trust yourself with the microphone faster 
and just be like, all right, yeah, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not only doing prepared material, in which we're podcasting, it's the same thing where you're like, I'm not coming in with a bunch of shit I've written down. It's like, no, I like trust myself enough to just talk because I've done it enough. And I, you know, it's You've all about learning time. to trust yourself. Yeah. yeah. And about, like you said, doing the reps mm -hmm. and just putting in the work. You can't jump to the finish There's line no and way. say, I've, I've got this. No. Like, we're okay now. Yeah. And it's like, I've seen, I've seen some very famous people bomb because they stepped away for a long time or they thought that they were going to be famous and that would, that would do it. And it's like, okay, yeah, for the first like minute and a half, people were like, oh my God, that's amazing. You're performing. But they still want to like, if you don't get them, they'll be like, oh. It wears off. Yeah. They're, oh, it's, it's yeah. so and so. It does. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it, it is kind of like, I think stand up can be the great equalizer in a lot of ways for that reason. It's just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. You're I know your face. That's cool. What are you, you funny? Say? Yeah. What, what are you funny? You know, can you back it up? Are gatekeepers what they used to be nowadays? Or have they kind of phased out because of the internet and you can kind of go do, you could do your own podcast or you can do these other avenues to build up your brand? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. They have less power than before and there are more of them, which is good. Um, but I mean, you can still, you can, you can, you can still create an audience on your own. You know, you can still put out a podcast, you can still put stuff online, you know, and you can build an audience and nobody can take that away from you. And that's awesome. Um, in order to like unlock TV shows or late night or specials and things like that, there are gatekeepers that still exist. And, you know, club owners are gatekeepers and, you know, they, you know, they, we've talked about them already. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, yes, yeah, so there are certain people that do still exist. The young, the more like younger and diverse people to take those positions though their palate is better so they kind of just are more open to things that are a little bit different um you know there's like a lot of cool specials that have come out in the last few years that i don't think 10 years ago ever would have gotten made and i think it's just because people are more willing to like try something different and stand-up is kind of like we're not in a post stand-up world yet but people are kind of expanding what a special can look like um and people are more willing to take that chance and stuff because of seeing things like on TikTok and and uh, Instagram reels and things like that to be like, oh, okay, cool. We could try it this way or something. Do you think that we're heading towards a post stand-up world? I don't know that we'll necessarily, I don't know that we'll necessarily get there. It's, it's just, what does that look like? Well, I mean, it's like the idea of like what stand-up is, is like a person talking on stage into a microphone, just telling jokes. It's like a very rigid, like this is what stand-up is. And I think that like, you know, there's like, um, like, uh, like Atsuko Okatsuka has a great special that's on uh, HBO that just came out a few weeks ago and like hers it's like a more personal more like one person show type thing she has like her like grandmothers involved with it like literally like dancing with her on stage and doing all this stuff and it's like that I think is something that people would be like what that's not stand up and it's like yeah it is you know so I think just the definition of what stand up is has like gotten much much more broad um, Whitmer Thomas uh, right before the pandemic put out a special that is him um uh, showing like home videos and doing songs and, and telling jokes and it just feels like a much more it's much more higher production thing. Um, Moses Storm has a really great one that he has like, this whole cool set built that like piece parts of it like light up and he like engages with it and stuff like telling his story basically and it they they all worked them out like Moses worked his out in comedy clubs around the country and stuff and like just kind of you know bit by bit by bit and it's it. I think it's it's like a much more a higher production piece basically than I think you would have considered a special a long time ago. And I think the the 
like I think a post stand up world is more like the lens being of what stand up can be just being so much broader. Um, like it's still just like a person telling jokes, but it's like, okay, well, a joke can have like a visual hit to it or like, you know, we we're 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 moving past just the that, you know, I think a person talking telling jokes into a microphone will always be great. But the yeah, the the definition is expanded. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. The medium would kind of broaden out a little bit. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have to be there on stage doing yeah. this structured sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like you can still have an audience, but it's like, um, you know, what is like there's uh, there's like VR rooms that people do stand up in. I've like, uh, you know, done those shows every once in a while. And you're like, all right, it's fucking weird. I guess what I'm what is that like? You've done a VR comedy <laughs> show? Yeah. Um, yeah. What's oh shit. Jenny Yang has a show. Um, it's in one of those video games where like you have a little character. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the game's called, but like, yeah, you do stand up as your little character and, uh, it's, it's weird cause you have like an audience of like other little characters like laughing at you and you're like, I guess this is what stand up is weird. Okay. <laughs> but you can't see their face or do their faces move. I don't know how no. good the VR tech is right now. It, yeah, not really. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not great. I mean, it's going to be a long time before I think that is a actual viable thing but i think it's like interesting it's interesting and i think it's good to be playing with mm -hmm. you know i think um and i've been guilty of this and i think it's a lot of comics can very much be stuck in like no this is how it's done and it's like why not embrace the new tools why not have fun with the new th it's just a new tool you can have fun with that it's it's no big deal you know like and that's just usually like your ego whenever you're scared it's your ego usually just kind of like throwing up against something and to me i'm very much like okay well what uh, what about this don't I like and why don't I like it? And it's like, oh, it's because I just don't want to learn something new. Okay, well, maybe we should, and let's see if that works for us or not. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be Blockbuster, yeah, right? exactly. You want to be Netflix. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to be Sears. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I mean, new tools like that are constantly coming out. And VR, it would be cool if if the tech really got there, yeah. where you could have people really feel like they're there and you can mm -hmm. see their facial expressions and kind of play off them a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, maybe we'll get there. I don't have a lot of faith in that happening in my lifetime, but... <laughs> Did you do any Zoom shows or anything like that over yeah. the pandemic? Was a lot that of Zoom shows. weird? I would imagine that'd almost be... They're weird, but honestly, being a podcaster, I think really helped with them because it felt very... Um, like, you're not getting anywhere near as much audience reaction... But you can kind of talk through it. It felt more like doing kind of like a live vlog, I found. Um, and I, my, whenever I would do Zoom shows, my jokes were very different on Zoom than they are on like a stage in front of a real audience. Like I would always have like, you know, tell some story about my dog and like pick my dog up and just like fuck with him on camera. Just kind of play around uh, a lot more than just what the like the stage version of a joke goes. Or like I had like a... Uh, I had a neighbor that passed away during the, uh, this older woman that lived near me that passed away right before the pandemic. And like, they cleaned out her, uh, place. She was a hoarder and they just had a bunch of crazy shit. And I had this like giant rusty machete they pulled out of her house. And I would like wave that around on camera and stuff like that when I was telling jokes about it. So it's like, I kind of like played with props a lot more or you had like the screen. So I would do a lot of like things coming in from the screen. Like it's just stupid little jokes and things like that. So it's just like playing with the medium differently. Just switching up your routine a little bit to yeah. to better fit that format. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then just be like, you know, I felt much more loosey-goosey, especially doing uh, Zoom shows, because it was like, all right. Lower stakes. Yeah, much lower stakes, and you're just, you're, talk you're talking to people. It feels much more one-sided, um, like, in that conversation, much more intimate, because it's like, 
here's like 30 people watching you on Zoom and you're like, you can kind of hear them laughing, but you're like, all right, I'm gonna check the chat. What do you, you guys think about that in the chat? Oh, okay. And then, you know, it was kind of a lot more crowd worky, but that was mostly just to fill the void of what like a room full of laughter sounds like. Was it harder getting your timing down with that or not so much where you kind of altered how you would do your jokes? It wasn't as hard getting it for Zoom. The harder thing has been, and I feel like it's, we've all kind of worked it out now. The harder thing has been transitioning back to live because I think, I think moving to Zoom, you kind of would, is what we were talking about originally, you can kind of fill that space a lot more um, because it was just silence, you know, a lot, not even silence, but just the timing was off like with an audience. Um, and then bringing jokes back to stage, I, I and a lot of comics, I think, found out you kind of were like talking through letting the audience laugh and just letting them have that moment and being like, oh, my timing has like gotten way tighter because of Zoom. Let me, I need to consciously let this stretch out a little bit more and give people the space to laugh and give myself. Sit in the moment. Yeah, exactly. And like that, that was, I think 2021 was like when things reopened, that was the, that was the lesson I think all the comics were kind of working on is like, let me readjust my timing to what like a crowd feels like, you know, and that feels like that. I feel, you know, much more, much more evened out now, which is nice. Yeah, that transition back, mm -hmm. I would imagine, because especially if you are doing a lot of Zoom shows and you're trying to get into that frame. Yeah. And then saying, okay, now we're back on stage. Let's yeah. go. How do we do that again? Mm -hmm. Exactly. You, speaking of the post stand up kind of world, you have that interesting thing that you've been doing, the picture this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to explain what that is for people that don't know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It fits very much into that post stand up world. So, picture this is a show that I've been running for 10 going on 11 years now. Um, I created it and host it in LA. Then we have a New York host um, and we kind of tour it around to different places sometimes. And it's uh, comedians paired up with animators and they live animate your jokes during your set through like a satique screen using Photoshop. And um, all our animators, we get people that like, um, we have like a, a people that work on like Big Mouth and BoJack Horseman and like huge, huge names, uh, which is which is awesome. They're, you know, like the creator of Hey Arnold does our show a lot. We have um, Pendleton Ward does it whenever he's in town, which is great. Um, and it's them, it, it feels like you're dealing with a very talented heckler kind of, because it's, it's interesting to see your joke interpreted through somebody else's mind because it's like, oh, that wasn't even the thing that I thought was funny about the thing that I'm describing, but that's what you took it away or that's the direction you took it in. So it's, and then, you know, you kind of end up riffing on the thing that they're drawing. So it kind of throws you off of like what your bit is, but you know, I found a lot of different directions like through, through doing that just fun it's um, an interesting concept yeah i saw a video of an old bit of yours it was the chainsaw juggler oh yeah yeah yeah. i think it was up on youtube yeah, and yeah. just the animation was cool to see mm -hmm. i'd never seen anything kind yeah. of mesh stand up in that way yep yeah exactly it's and it's fun because it's like um yeah it's just seeing your own joke interpreted through somebody else's brain and like what they took away from it and uh and also just cartoons are fun you know, and it's like, oh, man, I also have a very like um, visual storytelling style, I think. And like uh, to have somebody actually draw it for me is it's been really fun to be like, oh, cool. I didn't know that's what it would look like to somebody else. Does it fuck up the flow in any way or does it seem to mesh pretty well? Because I would imagine if you like you said, if you think mm -hmm. you're going to get a laugh in this part. Yeah. And then you don't. And so you're progressing through the bit and then people are laughing at what's up on the screen. Does that mess with you or can you find a nice low state with that i mean it messes with you but i think it's a good thing to be messed it's with like sometimes. a challenge yeah 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 like i always tell i always tell comics i'm just like it's you are not 
the pur- purpose purpose of the show is to be interacting with the thing to find something new in a bit you know like it's gonna throw you off like you and there's some people that have a hard time with it because I think they do not like the joke the laugh not coming where they're used to it coming like people will laugh then the the animator will get a bigger laugh because of the thing they just drew and I've seen a few people just go they don't like it until they turn around and then they see the thing and they're like oh that is funny and that's usually when I will watch it click with their brain on stage and they're like oh this isn't that serious this is just fun you know it's not me just like needing to perform my thing exactly how it is said every night it's like no I'm I'm playing within the idea that I had trying to find something new you know, and I think if, if the people that embrace it are the ones that have the most fun with it. It's pulling yourself out of your ego again. Yeah. And just mm-hmm. going with a laugh. Yeah, exactly. And just realizing that, like, you know what? I, you know, I'm in control of the thing we're talking about on stage. But, like, is me over here talking to a microphone going to be as dynamic as, like, the giant dick that's been drawn next to me no that's gonna get the laugh but i'm the only reason that was there in the first place and it's like you're narrating the story in a yeah, sense exactly exactly and it's, it's really fun like we shot a pilot for true tv a few years ago um and like we've taken it i've taken it to the kennedy center twice now and uh tor- toured it at festivals all over the country and stuff and it's like my favorite thing to do i i love i love playing in it what made you come up with that or how why did you want to do that it was just always like a fan of um animation and then just seeing like uh i'm I'm friends with a bunch of people that work in animation and and just through people in la and um there'd been a show that people were like drawing but it wasn't as nowhere near as interactive and then people were just like and then here's your set this is what a picture of your set looked like and i was like but what if we can what if we put these together i think then that's the magic is this kind of like almost like um it's like the improv rule of like yes and it feels very like you're going to create, you're both going to create something new together versus like, oh, that's what we just heard. It's like, no, just put it, put it together and, and see what happens, basically. It's a pretty cool mesh. Yeah. Seeing it play out as you're doing the bit and as these drawings are coming yeah. up and then it's almost like, okay, what are they going to draw yeah. next? Because it changes even as you're talking. It, it starts to alter. Exactly. Especially for the chainsaw one, it was, yeah. he's juggling them and then he chops his leg off and it's like, oh, like yeah. you don't see that coming and then it hits. Yeah, exactly. And it's like the animators are so funny too. And I think it's just like, it's a good exercise in like letting somebody else have the laugh every once in a while. It doesn't need to be all you all the time when you're on stage. And, um, you know, we comics process the a joke verbally and all the, you know, a lot of the artists, like they're so good at joking visually and it's just, you're both comedians in a certain sense. It's just your output is a different thing. So it's just seeing somebody else's the way that somebody else would handle the same premise from like a different output and just getting to you know be like oh man yeah that was a great idea <laughs> it's almost like you guys are playing off of each other yeah that you're yeah you're telling the story but then you're also changing it based off what's being drawn so you guys are kind of you're getting feedback from each other yeah exactly i find i mean i think it's like a very uh it's much, it, it, you know, it's closer to podcasting kind of in a certain way where you're just like, okay, yeah, we're creating a conversation together. It's not me needing to be in control all the time. And it's fun just to kind of sit back and let the animator get a laugh every once in a while and be like, let's see what you're going to do with that. What do you got? Well, show me what you got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you got? Okay. And it's just, you know, it's, I, I love just seeing my stuff animated too, to be like, oh man, that's so stupid. That's what I was talking about. You're right. <laughs> and you, you've been doing that for 13 years, you said? Uh, it'll be 11 this year. Yeah. Love it. Uh-huh. And so that for 11, comedy for... For 16. Comedy for 16. Comedy for podcasting 16. for a decade. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. 
It's wild. Been doing it for a long ass time. Yeah, you've been in the game for a while. <laughs> yeah. Does it feel weird when you look back and and just look at kind of what you accumulated? Especially, I mean, podcasting hasn't been around for very long. No. Yeah, we were definitely one of the first, especially comedy podcasts that started. Um, I mean, yeah, there were only a few. Like, Marin was out before us. Like, Jim, uh, Never Not Funny was out before us. And I'm sure there's others I can't think of. But, like, we were we were very early in the game for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I'm like very proud of my body of work and I'm really proud that, especially that a lot of it has aged pretty well too, you know, like there isn't anything that I've really been like, I don't, I don't stand by that anymore. <laughs> Is that, do you ever think, do you think about that a lot? Cause I think about that with this. Yeah. Because in a good way, these are moments in time. Yeah. And I think it'll be cool to look back or for my kids to look back and mm -hmm. be able to see who I was at this moment. But yeah. then. I mean, even editing, so like a week later, mm -hmm. I'll go back and think, oh, shit, this is, <laughs> I didn't do this idea justice or this came out wrong or mm -hmm. fucked up this part. And so looking back at 20 years, it's like, oh, that's going to, yeah. I would imagine it hurt a little bit more. And especially if co you're coming up with jokes about politics or maybe a little uh -huh. more edgy. Yeah. Looking back, do you think about that? I do. I mean, there is stuff that I'm like, oh, I would have hit that harder. Or like I... But I do think it's like if you feel like you've progressed, I think that's an important thing or or being like, oh, I don't agree with that thing anymore. But this is why and this is where I've gone to instead. I think it's I think it's important to have like markers to be like, OK, yeah, I am better than I was. You know, it would be weird if I wasn't, you know, been doing it for a decade, not gotten better. Um, that would be alarming. Yeah, it would You're be alarming. In the same spot. And it's yeah. Like, oh, shit, I put in 10 years for what <laughs> kind of game? Yeah, exactly. So I think I, I'm much more focused on like. um like even like my my first album, I think it's really funny. I'm really proud of it. There's stuff, there's versions of jokes on there that got better afterwards too. And I was like, yeah, that's just a moment in time that was recorded, and like I'm proud of it. I'm better than that now, and that's good. <laughs> I think I only think about that in this day and age because it doesn't seem like people mm -hmm. can appreciate the progression. I with, mean, with like the the social media age where it's. You are now accountable for anything and everything that's ever been out there. That yeah, you but put most out. people are mo the majority of people like understand, are reasonable. Are reasonable. You have a very small minority. They're not, and they're just doing it for their cloud online. And it's like, all right. I mean, if 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 I like if I said something like horrible, or reprehensible, and somebody found it, I'd be like, oh fuck yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that anymore. I'm fucking sorry. I said that in the first place, and I genuinely mean that. But if it's like somebody has a problem with something I said, and I still believe it, I'd be like. No, that is how I feel. You know, we can argue about that, but like, you know, I, I think it's very. I think a lot of people get very like bogged down and like worried about like, oh, oh, oh no, I have to double down on it, and it's like, no, you don't. If you don't believe it anymore, it's fine. You can just, you know, most pe the majority of people are gonna be fine with it. I mean, most no nobody gets nobody gets canceled for real. Like, I mean, I can't tell you any actual cases where anyone has been materially, monetarily really affected by it, especially in comedy. You know, I mean, it's like people that have been abusers and things like that are even working again. You know, it's like... <laughs> Isn't Bill Cosby... Yeah, he's touring. Yeah, he's, he's touring again. He just announced a tour. Um, and it's... That's pretty crazy. It's really awful. It's, it's really disgusting that he's touring. I can't believe... They haven't announced venues yet. And I'm like, where are you going to play? Well, you think if if you're Bill Cosby, you would want to just fade away. So just too. go 
buy a mansion somewhere super secluded and just keep your head down. The idea that you would want to go back out in front of people. I think if you're an egomaniacal monster, though, which turns out that he is, you know. You got to feed the ego. You got to feed the ego. And you're not going to let, you know, um, you're you're going to try to set the record straight, quote unquote, as much as possible, even though, <laughs> you know. There's well, a lot out there. There's a lot out there. Uh, we all know what happened, dude. <laughs> Fucking disgusting. I don't know if I can curse. Sorry. Yeah, no, you can. Yeah, cool. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if people actually go out to see that. If it's going to be like a spectacle where yeah. they want to go just see what he has to say. I know. Or if he's going to come out with some really good jokes and then you're going to think, wow, okay, I'm, I'm conflicted about supporting this. Yeah. Well, it's hard because it's like, yeah, he's, you can be two things. You can be a very talented comedian and you can also be a monster. And, if there was, you know, I I always focus on the material aspect of it where I'm like, yes, you you can still think Bill Cosby is funny. Are you supporting him financially? You know, think about that. You know, if you really need to see his stand up because you love his stand up, there will be a bootleg. Don't go see him live, you know, or like pirate that shit. Yeah, exactly. Like take the money out of his pocket wherever you can. Like it's not. um. You know, that I do think that it's important to kind of consider that stuff. Like it's, you know, it's just not, uh, you know, money is what it comes down to, I think, ultimately, especially to people like it, like that, where it's like, it's the only way that you can hurt them. What do you think? He, I mean, does he need the money? I don't know what his financials no, are. No, but it would like hurt now. his ego if, his, if he didn't sell as well as he thought, you know, and I think it's like, you know, it would be great to hit him there. I mean, I'm sure also the, those lawyers were very expensive. Um, because that was a hell of a case. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know, but crazy move. Yeah, crazy move to want to come back out. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it just shows you, you know, more of who he was, more of who he is. To be like, oh wow, okay, you really need to now. You need to force yourself in the entire public. Great, awesome, great. That was the same thing with OJ, right? Yeah, because he wrote the book. Yeah, if I did it, like what? It's. It, it it has to be ego. You're right. At some point yeah. where you want to come back out and try to put your side of the story out there, because why mm -hmm. else? If you got away with it, yeah. Count your blessings and just go hide. Yeah. Why would you want to constantly put your face back out there for people to just just constantly make that comparison of yeah, but you did this. This yeah. is who. You, this is what you did. I mean, it's a lot of ego. Most people are also not going to confront you to your face. And you just, you still like the adoration that you're going to get, that you're also still going to get from a lot of people. Because, I mean, we we do live in this world where it's like, you know, Bill Cosby, incredibly disappointing human being. And that is the nicest way to say it about him. The Cosby show also can mean a lot to a lot of people. Meteoric. It yes, was a huge yes. show. And, 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 you know, and meant so much. Amazing TV show also just like meant so much to like see a black family on TV that, that was fucking succeeding and all of this shit. And like that, that's an important thing and you cannot take away that cultural touchstone. This guy can be a very bad guy and that can also still mean something. And I think it's like, I get, I, I get that it's hard to lose a hero, but it's also so important not to make people your heroes in that way to not be like, Oh no, they can fail. You know, I mean, and, and to be able to separate all these things. Do you think he can come back from that? If he does this tour and if he starts to try to win people back over, do you think he could ever reach a spot where he is doing that full time again? Touring is just a comic out there like any other comic. Yeah. You think so? Yeah, he could. 
Yeah, I mean, he absolutely could. It's depressing, but it's true. There's like an escape velocity. That's how I've heard yeah. it phrased, where mm-hmm. you can get big enough where it doesn't really matter anymore. R. Kelly kind of mm-hmm. hit that. He hit that place. I mean, Chris Michael Brown. Jackson kind of, Chris Brown. He has in that place. I mean, you know, if you are, ma- as, I mean, in comedy, it's like you've got uh, Chris Delia still tours, and he like has groomed girls uh you know lucy k is back out there again you've got uh tj miller tours um like there's a number of people that are like you know monsters um but they make money for clubs and unfortunately there's like not a um we have no sort of like union or anything in place that can protect comics from like workplace safety issues because my thing is I think that them being allowed in spaces where women can be is a workplace safety issue. Because if, like, a club books a female opener with any of these people, like, it can be a problem. Um, you know, you've opened them up to risk. And, you know, now you're going to punish them if they say no by taking money out of their pocket or something like that. So to me, I think it's more like looking at it from that perspective. Um, and But unfortunately, because there's no protections in place in in, in the industry, there just is... If that person will sell out a room, a club owner is probably going to go with them, you know? And that, I think, is why it is important to, like, have an educated uh, comedic populace, like, audience to be like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to see that person because I, I, I know what they do. And it's, I take it seriously enough that I won't, I won't go support them because if they don't draw an audience, they won't get booked anymore, you know? And I think it's also important to, like, also seek out, you know, people that you're like, all right. Cool, I like this kind of person. Where more people like them or whatever. Like to really try to like educate and find new people that you wouldn't necessarily like, oh, like you support the support the artists that you love financially because it's the only way that people are gonna the book that book them are gonna see that they uh are worth booking and bringing back. Like it just it just is. Like the industry runs on I mean, every industry runs on money, but comedy definitely does. Have you noticed a pretty significant benefit from the podcast in that sense that as the podcast has gotten bigger? Mm-hmm. It's translated for that. Yeah, definitely. It's been nice knowing that, like, I mean, I can look at, like, where we have um, where we have listeners and then be like, I'm oh, cool. There. Yeah, awesome. Like, yeah, I'm definitely hitting Portland, definitely hitting Seattle, like, you know, Austin, Chicago, San Francisco, like, great, great crowds. Love them. Um, you know, and it's nice to be like, okay, cool. I know I can at least probably get, I can probably sell out a room in these places. Like, that's good to know. And then I can kind of, like, try to build from there, basically. Yeah. Well, as bad as social media is today it does have that benefit yeah you Mm -hmm. you don't need the gatekeepers you can go out on your own Mm -hmm. and you can put your product out to people that are going to like it and are going to want to support you and want to come along for the ride yeah i mean i think it's like we're still in like an interesting place with social media because i think it's i think it is ultimately a net good because it's exposed so many more voices it's given so many more people a voice than before which like obviously that's going to be messy but it's like how many people are, you know, have 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 gotten careers that never would have been gotten careers before um, because of it? You know, I mean, for better or for worse, I guess. But like, I do think it's like, you know, it, it's 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 sh- shown the lights, on, especially on like, you know, different voices of like people of color and women and, and you know, trans and non-binary people that like wouldn't necessarily the industry wouldn't mess with them before. And I think it's important to be like, oh, yeah, no, look how look at all these people that like I, you know. You wouldn't think that, like, like somebody like For- Fortune Feimster, like Fortune Feimster, super fucking funny, Ve- like, le- like overweight lesbian, so goddamn funny. Everyone loves her around the country. She crushes. She sells out constantly. 
there are a lot of executives that unless they saw her, like they saw the numbers that she got from her social media, they'd be like, no, that's not, that's not a thing. And it's like, no, she's, everybody loves her that sees her. Like it's, you know, it, it it's, it's important, I think, like to, to be able to like, you know, find those people and then, you know, kind of make the industry have to pay attention to them. Do you think that there's an, does that translate, I guess would be a better question, the TikTok comedians mm -hmm. or the old school Vine comedians, does that translate to regular stand-up comedy? Because you hear a lot about how they they try to make that jump, but I never hear about how that pans out for them. It depends. I mean, it's um, live stage chops are different than 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 doing it on your phone and getting to like do it as many times as possible, and like edit it and yes. cut and add yeah. all these effects. Yeah, like, I think there are some people that can, that can do it. Um, they have growing pains uh <laughs> for sure Don't plug and there can definitely be some growing pains to get to that place that's for sure i mean i did a show in portland um a few months ago that was headlined by uh this uh this guy who he's huge on tiktok and he has a bunch of different characters and they're all very silly and funny and um it was the way the it was like i was hosting and then it was like a regular comic he came out and did a character regular comic he came out and did character regular comic he came out and closed with a different character the three characters and th their audience was it was so funny because it was his first time ever on stage in front of people and there was like three people brought signs he had like fans that came out to see him like drove long distances to see him and everything and um he was so nervous backstage and the first time the first one he like he hit every point that he needed to, but the audience was so supportive of him too, though. So it was nice to see him like get that support. Um, and he definitely afterwards I talked to him and he was like, Okay, I just learned a lot from doing that. And he did he did good because he also had this audience that like loved him and wanted to see him succeed. Cause also, you know, as a host, I was also first time on stage, build it up. You know, you're it's you want the show shows to the show to succeed. And um, you know, he did a good job. He also did a very smart thing where he just went like, okay what went wrong what and how could I be different like he really kind of took the note and was like you know also watched all of us and was like oh I see why you did that like really like understood that just because he has a huge online following doesn't mean that he isn't still a student learning how to be on stage basically I mean we all are at a certain point um and I mean he's 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 still doing he's doing great like you know and he'll actually I think be able to make that transition. I mean, I think there's the people that are just like, yeah, everyone loves me. It's fine. I think they have it in the bag. Yeah. And that's where you see a crash and burn. It's like, I've seen it. Um, there was a minute where uh, if you had a big uh, Twitter account, like you were getting hired on late night, like you're getting hired to write TV shows. And just because you could write a bunch of little small jokes didn't mean you could write a full script. And I know people that like, I know a lot of people that got pulled from that world at that time. And a few of them are showrunners now and have successful careers. And a few of them burned out very fast because they did not have the discipline to write a script. So it's like, it can get you, it can get you that first initial thing, whether or not you put in the work to then back up, back up what you can do in a different medium. Like you obviously have talent and there's some sort of like um, magnetism there, but like, it's like any talent, like any kind of raw talent can go bad. If you don't, it's like just being it. famous. Yeah, you mm -hmm. you can have the audience for a few seconds. Yeah, because you're famous, mm -hmm. and then you need to be yeah. funny. Exactly, you gotta still be able to back it up. And it's like this guy that I worked with. He like he was very funny. He had his little bits. He felt a little bit wooden on stage, but he also would just be like, "Oh my god, thank you!" Like he was he was very genuine about how nervous he was to them, and that 
that is something that I've seen a lot of comics. It takes a very long time for them to learn to let that defense down. And he immediately had this like, thanks guys, I'm trying. Like, and just being able to be that vulnerable with people, like will, and if he can maintain that, he will learn exponentially from there. Because I think so much of it is just like this defensiveness, this fear of like, nope, this is how we do it. And that shuts you down from like learning and actually like elevating yourself or leveling up. I think that translates to everything in life. Yeah, for sure. You just have to be Absolutely. willing to learn mm-hmm. and be willing to put in the work. Yeah, definitely. And a lo- I mean, a lot of people aren't. <laughs> a lot of people aren't. Yeah. That's the scary thing. Yeah. Because you have those people that think, nope, mm-hmm. got it all figured out. I'm good. Yeah. Or they're like, I did this much work and now that's it. Everything else should be given to me. And you're like, no, it's, I'm, I'm sorry. Life is a constant. <laughs> it's a constant learning and, and changing and growing, you know? And I get that that is not... I mean, I think that sounds fun. I like, it doesn't sound fun to everybody, but it is. That's sorry. That's the reality. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. That's one of the main reasons why I love doing the podcast. Is yeah. it's something you have to constantly work at. Mm-hmm. You can't just rest on your laurels or just yeah. flow. You have to constantly get better, and it will yeah. humble you. Yeah, You'll absolutely. Eat shit one episode, and then you got to come back and yeah, go at it again. And <laughs> that's my favorite part: is that constant state of mm-hmm. okay, take a step forward, half a step back, take two steps forward. Mm-hmm. Take another step forward. You just, it's that constant, okay, I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to work on this. I'm trying to do this differently. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, that's and that's what it is. That's it's, part of life. Yeah, because it's like, imagine, imagine just like being like, well, I learned everything I was ever going to learn and I'm 30. It'd be boring. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, you have, you know, hopefully another 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, what Just are you be perfect for the next 60? Yeah, that sounds exhausting. It sounds boring as hell. Like, no, no, thank you. You know. I got to ask, do people still or do comedians still want to go the late night route? Is that still pretty big or is Yeah, yeah, I mean people would still love to do it. I mean, I think the the avenues just don't exist as much. I mean, Conan going off the air was really sad because like that was like he put a lot of stand-ups up. Um, Kimmel still puts up stand-ups. Uh, James Corden puts up stand-ups. Jimmy Fallon does. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't mean as much. Obviously, it doesn't. Like in in the in the sense that like audiences aren't like, oh my god, that person was on Fallon last night. Wow. Like let's go see. Like no one flocks to you for that. But it is a credit that like kind of unlocks. You know, some doors. It unlocks some doors and some next levels and stuff like that. Like you you know you get a you get a Fallon. Like then people are like, oh okay, well. Now we can look at your hour or your half hour to like maybe let's get you a special or something like that. Like it can definitely be within the industry. It's a definitely a nice a nice feather to get towards like a next a next step. It's kind of interesting that nobody's tried to repurpose that format on YouTube. Yeah, it's surprising to me. Right? I mean, I I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, a late night show is it's a lot of work. I mean, you know, monologue, when you have a team of monologue writers, if you're doing a monologue every night and you want it to be, monologues have gotten hard because of topical comedy. I mean, Twitter is just everyone making the same jokes and then trying to, you know, I'm friends with a lot of monologue writers who like they, you know, monologue writers, if you work on a show, you're writing upwards of 180 jokes a day, basically. Yeah. Like you're, the way that, the way that those work is you have like a team of researchers that, uh, go through all the news like that night and then the, that next morning at like 7 a.m. they send out like these are the top headlines. These are weird headlines, political headlines. They try to give you a mix of different stuff and then you sit and you just like try to come up with everything that you can to like, you know, do these jokes and stuff like that. And then all those are kind of sent over to a head writer who kind of looks through everything. Then he's like, okay. And then also you when you're writing them, you're like, okay, that's my first thought. 
that's probably the one that's on Twitter. What is like the second, third, fourth, and fifth thought that is the joke about this? You know, so you're trying to get past that initial, you know, that initial obvious thought too. Or like, what's a way to like build on that or something like that? Um, so it's just, I mean, to, to have a good monologue that isn't like something that you can find everywhere online, it's, it's still, it's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, and I think just like the production of that kind of thing just, just takes a while, you know, to consistently have guests in like, you know, five days a week or whatever for a late night show. It's like, you gotta, you, you can book all that stuff yourself. It's just a tire. lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a and lot. to make it worthwhile <laughs> for somebody to watch. Yes, exactly. Like their production value, because you know, uh, viewers are savvy to stuff. Like they watch a lot of things now and they're There's like, so much out there. Yeah. And they're like, well, you need to look, you need quality needs to be of a certain level or why am I watching this? Why waste my time? Yeah, exactly. Do you, I, I had always heard that writers, if they're comedians mm -hmm. and they become a writer, it's almost like the kiss of death for your stand-up career. It can be for a lot of people. I Is mean, that just because all the ideas are going to your writing job? I mean, if you're writing 180 jokes yeah. and they're good jokes, what mm -hmm. do you have left over for your stand-up? Well, I mean... It, it's different. Well, it, it, it's not even that so much because like top like monologue jokes are like very uh, they're not usually very personal at all. So it's like you it's more do you have the energy to like work on your own stuff. It's like you're not going to give a monologue joke a joke that you would do in your act necessarily unless you were doing topical stuff. But most monologue most monologue writers don't do that kind of thing. Like if you look like um like Brian Brian Kylie, he's a one liner guy, but it's one liners about his family as like what his set is, and it's very personal to his his like it. You can feel the monologue rhythm in his set, but it's like using that muscle towards a completely different subject matter, basically. Um, Larry Kilmartin, amazing monologue writer, um, she doesn't do anything like anything like that on stage. She does kind of very long, funny pieces, basically. They just feel completely separate. Um, but it's like it's you're 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 using your brain for like a full day at work. You know, and do you have family that you wouldn't spend, you know, where does your time go? You only have so much hours, so many hours in a day. And I mean, those like those two, especially they still do stand up. Um, You know, they don't do as many shows as they probably did pre, you know, uh, pre pre working on late night shows. But they make it a point to like whenever the show is on hiatus, they're like, cool, these are the two weeks I definitely have off. Let me like fill my calendar. Or let me get out of town or whatever. Um, And it just depends on if you if you really want it it'll still be there for you. You know, you can still work it. Because there's always, there's there's mics that you can go to. Like, there's always going to be shows that like, you can try to get booked on. Like, it just depends on how much energy you want to put into it. There's a way. You just have to put in the extra work. Yeah. That's the scary thing about, yeah. if you're working a nine to five mm -hmm. that you hate, and yeah. then you have this passion project that you want to get off the ground, mm -hmm. most people don't want to go work yeah. 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and then go home and work an additional four, five, six hours. Yeah. And then get five hours of sleep and then repeat the whole cycle yeah. for the next four, five, six years. Yeah, it's almost like the 40-hour work week is like not conducive towards a, you know, fulfilling life. <laughs> That's a crazy thought. Yeah, it's funny to think that way. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and then you, I mean, how many people fall into the trap where they're in that situation and then they get a house payment or yes. they get a car payment? Yeah. Or they've got student loans they now have to work mm -hmm. through. or mm -hmm. I have a kid now on the way. And then what's the first thing that goes? It's whatever passion project that yeah. was. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's, 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 it's really hard. You really need to like figure out like, okay, how can I stretch my money as much as I want? Like, how do I, what, what, what is the life? What do I actually value in life? Do I value my material possessions that, which is totally fine if you do, but like, 
that what is your trade off where it is? I mean, you know, there's like I I'm very lucky. Like I bought a um I live in a mobile home in LA. Um like I have like a two bed, two bath like trailer that I bought um in like twenty fourteen for very cheap and pay like lot rent basically in this small trailer park in LA. And um a I live I pay I'm I live so much cheaper than the majority of my friends, which has given me a lot of freedom basically because of that. Um, I just, I have, I have a new car now, but like my old car I had for 14 years, you know, I mean, I took care of it like religiously because I was like, I do not want a car payment. Like I try to live as like, you know, I have like nice stuff and I have a nice life, but it's like, you know, I, I definitely try to like be very aware of like where my money is going to like, not, you, you can so easily, um, you, you can so easily just become indebted to, to a lifestyle that you think you're supposed to have or something like that. And like, I mean, um, it's very, it's hard to break that thing in your head and then be like, oh my God, wow. I, you know, like, like financial literacy is such an important thing, um, that I think we aren't taught. And are we taught that? Are we not taught that for a reason? Good question. Uh, <laughs> why are people allowed to try to give you a credit card at 18 outside of a college? Why I don't can you know. Get a, <laughs> why can you get a student loan at 18? Yes. Let's have that conversation. Yeah, no, exactly. You have no idea what that debt looks like. It's just like a bunch of zeros on a page. And you're like, okay, is, I don't That's think a there's... future me problem. Yeah, okay. future me problem. I don't really know how much money that is. Like, I've also been told that, like, this, I will do this degree and this means this, this, this. And it's like, no, it doesn't. You know, I mean, there's a reason we're in... A lot of the problems we're in right now is just like a lack of, you know, it, it, yeah. The number of people who are just like saddled with massive payments that can't get their lives started because of it is like deeply unfair. I think a lot of pe young people have been like lied to and led astray. And it's also, you know, college has gotten so, so expensive. I mean, I was very thankful. I got, um, I had a, I had a bunch of scholarships that really helped me out. And then like, you know, I'm paid off, like all my stuff's paid off, but like that was a process and like, um, I'm thankful for that. And, but I also, I, I have friends that are like, you know, because of, you know, they got laid off or something or any, any number of things happen. It doesn't matter. They're like $350,000 in debt. And they're like, ah, I've paid down a hundred thousand dollars, but I still have all this. How the hell? And, and I did not growing. And it keeps growing. And I did not pay that much to go to school. Like I've paid off what I paid to go to school. This interest is the thing that is like, you know, and it's like, yeah, none of this feel, none of that feels right. It shouldn't, you know, I don't understand how you can charge interest on an education. Like, I mean, to, to the degree that they do is, criminal i think um but yeah you've you've created the, and now you have also like a um you know a cowed populace that are like well i need the job that i do have because i need to pay this thing off that is just gonna sit on my shoulder the entire time and it's like okay that no that's not like a way to live like that's not a way to flourish you know which is what we we have so so much and so many things that are available in this country that like there's no reason that everybody can't have their basics covered, you know, and not feel oppressed, like oppressed by massive debt at all times. Well, I mean, debt, especially it is a, a pitfall. Yeah. It's a trap. Yeah. And the scariest thing about it is once you fall into the trap, you're now in the cycle and getting out of the cycle is the hard. hardest part, especially, I mean, credit cards scare the shit out of me. Yeah. You have people that have four five, six credit cards yeah. and they've got 25, Thirty, sixty thousand dollars on those cards. Yeah, and you got like twenty five, twenty six percent interest. Yeah. There, I, there's no way to pull yourself out of that. Yeah, if it, you're living paycheck to paycheck and 
Yeah. I mean, if you're only making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. you're fucked. No, yeah, you're, you're screwed. Yeah, you absolutely are. And then it's like if something comes along that you're like, I mean, a lot of people also like, um, how does that stuff get racked up? Usually through medical debt or something like that. Like, it, or consumers or trying to show off. Yeah, friends buy things you really don't need of to course. impress people. Yeah, but we also like live in this. We we live in such a consumerist society too that it's like. You know, people like to be like, I can't believe, you know, if you're poor and you have a nice phone, I'm like, yeah, but a phone's a computer at this point. And you want someone to get a better job, they need access to email. Uh, Libraries aren't always open. Also, I get it if, like, you don't have a lot in this world, you want to feel like you have something nice. You want to feel like when we were told, these are the things that make you look successful. And it's like, well, I want to feel like I'm fucking successful. I want some of this stuff because I, you know, I, I fucking want it. And, like, I get it. I completely get it, you know? We're, that's the society we live in that's the values that our society like dictates you know you we we have a society that just has like where poor equals bad poor equals dirty like we just do this thing that like is so disgusting and wrong and it makes people just like put such a value judgment on somebody that isn't able to like make a certain amount of money or whatever and it's just like it's 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 it it may it's made it an, an, a nation full of people that think that they are temporarily embarrassed millionaires and that just aren't there yet and it's like do you have any idea how hard it is to get there and how many things are working against you like as opposed to like blaming other people like think bigger <laughs> and i know that's a hard thing because then it feels like you're you're less you're helpless towards a lot of it um but that is where i think like solidarity with your th- fellow man is like very important to actually embrace it's it's it is scary because yeah. I mean those traps. It's like you're walking through life and you're on this mm-hmm. path, yeah. and there are mines everywhere, and you can kind of see the top of the mine. Yeah, but you also kind of can't. And yeah. man, if you step on one, it's it's a cascading effect, especially everything. with. I mean, medical debt is is the yeah. saddest thing because you could get to a point where it's like, do I want to live and be in debt, or do I want to not get not not yeah, have my medicine. I mean, like you yeah. start talking about insulin. There's so many mm-hmm. crazy things, and it's just yeah, it is what it is. Like that's the mindset that mm-hmm. is there for that. Well, and I think such an insidious thing too is that like we're taught this whole like we're the best country in the world, whatever. But then we also aren't given like the space. We aren't given like the time off or like the monetary ability to like travel and see how other places are. And like something that I really love to t- I I travel a lot and um. You talk to people from other countries and stuff, and they're like, you guys do a lot of stuff backwards. Like, you talk to people that, like, are from, live in the UK or whatever. Like, I have a lot of comic friends that, like, something has happened to them in a foreign country. And they go to, you know, they go to the hospital or something, and they're taken care of, and they don't come back with a $12,000 bill. You know? It's like, I had a friend who, um, uh, his uh, wife flew to Greece for, like, a work, uh, symposium or something and had been cleared by the doctor that she could fly she was pregnant um but was only like four or five months pregnant goes into labor on the plane lands in greece is you know baby's in the nicu thankfully is still alive but she she was in the hospital baby was in the hospital for i think he had to move there they were there for six or seven months before the baby was like stabilized enough to fly back twelve hundred dollars was the entire thing i mean imagine if she'd gone and if that, that had happened in america and like what that would have cost it would have ruined them you know, and I mean, well, even just having a kid. Well, yeah, I mean, how expensive is well, childbirth? Yeah, I mean, I think about just like the yeah, the dignity of also you know to have the kid and then the ability to take care of it. You got to hope you have like 
a relative that can help out or, you know, childcare costs so much in this country to actually like, you know, do it right. Like the amount of money, it's a second mortgage, you know, to really take care of, to take care of a kid. You know, I know a lot of people that are just like, yeah, I stopped working because it was cheaper for me not to work and take care of my kid than me to work. And then all that money just went towards a daycare of some kind, you know, and you know, people that have good jobs and stuff like that. And, you know, we also live in this place where it's like, um, like you look at like like in France, France has like a state uh, sponsored uh, daycare where like uh, from I think, you know, they have a, um, the state provides like a, like a post birth. I don't know what the person's thing is. But they come to your house like once a week and they can take care of your baby. So you can like go have a day, do groceries, sleep, whatever you need. And then once they're like three or four, your baby's in daycare. And then the people that work at those daycares, they have master's degrees. You know, they are like daycare workers. That's all about enrichment. Also, now you have somebody that's like watching that kid that's outside of that family's initial home that if there's something going on, it's spotted a lot fucking sooner, too. You know what I mean? So it's like villages used to raise children. You not used to just be this like two people were the only two people that dealt with it. Plus, like a teacher that is just so overloaded with everything else and has a second job because we don't pay them enough, basically. You know, and, um, you know, it used to be like, oh, a lot of people helped take care of this child and like they felt like they had a, a community around them, you know, but we've built a world where community is not valued the way that it should be. Well, you know? everybody's at each other's throats. Hard yeah. to have a community when people are screaming at each other online and everybody's yeah. pissed off. And Well, and it's sad because then it's like, I mean, I always I'm I've always been friends with my neighbors. I've always made it a point to be like friendly with my neighbors just to like know each other because I'm like something happens while I'm gone, I want you to be able to text me, vice versa. I got a package, I'm going to come over to you. And I am shocked at the number of people I know that are like, "Oh god, I've never met my neighbors." And I'm like, "It's crazy that that's where we are." Yeah, I'm like, "Why?" Like, you don't need to be best friends with your neighbors. Like you can still maintain a boundary, but like what? You don't want to like be like, "Oh, hey, it's good to see you, Nick. <laughs> How you doing? Hey, how's your day? Go talk for a second. All right, go back inside. Like that's what does that hurt to like know something about the people that are sleeping near you? You know, I mean, that's there's why 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 wouldn't you do that? And why were you told not to? <laughs> well, imagine like two hundred years ago, sleeping yeah. next to somebody ten feet away. Yeah, and you don't ever talk to that person. Imagine. And that's basically where we are today. But we're yeah. in these little boxes, and we mm -hmm. pretend that. When I'm in my box, I'm safe. Yeah. And the outside world is outside. Yeah. It's like, good oh. luck with that. Yeah. You know how easy it is to get into a house yeah. if you need to? Yeah. The thin veneer of society is, yeah. it's a facade in a lot of ways. For sure. And it's sad because I feel like there was a minute where people, when everything first locked down, I think a lot of people were like, oh, shit. And I think there was a minute where people just really realized, like, what was actually, like, a lot of that stuff was actually important. Like, a few, like, I was so thankful just to have my neighbors like kind of wave at to be like, hi, I'm seeing another person today. And I had a lot of friends who were like, yeah, I like was like talking 10 feet away from this person that I haven't talked. I've never talked to. I've lived near them for this long. And we've just never spoken before. And it's like, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be when you remove all this crap. You know, what's the point if it isn't connecting like connection to people? I've heard it, that it was a lot like 9-11 right after it happened, mm -hmm. that there was the unity. Yeah. And then it kind of all just went to shit. And... Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it was just 
frustrating and, yeah. you know, feels uh, by design to a certain degree. <laughs> okay. Well, Brandy, you're yeah. awesome. We can, it's already four o'clock. Oh, shit. So, okay. yeah, we can get yeah. out of here. Uh, show tonight. Do you want to plug everything? Sure. Your show tonight, tomorrow night, where people can find you later on down the road for your tour where Absolutely. Uh, everything's yeah. at your albums yeah uh, so it's January 27th uh, tomorrow's 28th I'm here in Eureka um, playing at the Savage Henry Comedy Festival or Comedy Club a very great club there's also a festival that happens every year there in October um, and then I'll be in Eugene Oregon on January 29th I'll be in Portland Oregon January 30th uh, Oakland January 31st uh, Fresno California February 1st and then I'll be back in LA for a little bit um, brandyposey.com is where you can find everything about me uh, including my tour dates if you use the app Bands in Town you can find me and follow me on there and then you'll be updated whenever I come back to your area uh, my podcast is called Lady to Lady uh, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts guys like it too I promise um, it's just four women just riffing and having a great time we're not it's a blast um, my show picture this uh, happens in Los Angeles uh, once a month and New York once a month uh, it's a blast um, and my album is called Opinion Cave uh, where you can find it wherever you listen to al- wherever you listen to albums and I have a new one that will be recorded later this year so follow me on all the shit Brandazzle on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram um, and then Brand Dazzle is here on TikTok which please follow me there so I will do it more <laughs> you're a professional you got all that down <laughs> yeah I know all the shit <laughs> <laughs> okay well Brandy we'll definitely have to get you on next time you're in town this please. was a lot of fun yeah this was I great I appreciate it yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, awesome thanks, thanks guys yeah